Hey, 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 this is the rest, the rest of my thoughts, the rest of our church, and hopefully with a little bit of uh, sugar and spice and everything nice, the rest for your souls. Disclaimer, this is not a sermon. These are my thoughts and interests, and these are your thoughts and interests. The rest is a time for open and safe opinions and dialogue. Welcome to uh, this episode of The Rest. Uh, We're cranking through now, and uh, it's been fun. Today, we're going to continue to um, unpack worship because at the church, we're in a season of learning. So we've we've had some uh, discussions with Eddie and some discussions with with, uh, Carmen about worship. And today, um, actually, we're going to do something a little bit different with the podcast. I'm going to have Chris Solly, who is our aficionado for worship in the uh, later part of the podcast. He's going to join me the entire time. So Chris is here now. How you doing, Chris? Good, Joel. How are you? You feeling good? Oh, yeah. So Chris is going to be a part of... uh, of uh, the whole day. And so what we've got planned for today um, is um, the rant and uh, some footnotes from a message that I did on forgiveness coming up. And then of course, we're going to end our time with uh, aficionado. And that is Chris Sully, who's a worship leader and at our church, but so much more than that. He's a, a husband and a father and owns his own um, basically woodworking business. Yeah. Woodworking business. I got it right the first time. It's the best way to say it. It's a woodworking business. He works it. Um, And then uh, that's going to round out our podcasts related to worship in the season of learning. And next week, just to give you a little heads up, we're going to start a four week series on the rest related to leadership, all kinds of leadership. And I, um, it's, it's an understatement to say how excited I am about that topic and about the guests that I have. So I already have them all lined up. Uh, I'll give you one little teaser. My first guest next next week is a a pretty well-known Ohio State football player who also played in the league after that. And he's going to be my first guest and talk about leadership. Uh, I also have a coach uh, from Ohio State who's going to come and and talk. And I have someone from from, uh, a big business, big... uh, uh, I would say, um, healthcare business coming in and, uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. So you're going to want to tune in for all that. So with that, I'm going to dive into my opening rant. So uh, t- today, all I want to just kind of talk about Chris and you can, you can chime in whenever you want on this one. I asked you this already, but you typically watch the Olympics, but you didn't, you're not really watching the Olympics right now. No, no, we haven't made a concerted effort to watch it. So one of the things about Chris, Chris's uh, brother-in-law is Ryan, who is also uh, on staff here at the church. And I texted Ryan the other day about the Olympics. I'm like, dude, are you watching the Olympics? And of course, he has three children, so he's not watching anything. He's watching them. Uh, And uh, he's like, no, I haven't seen any. I'm like, dude, you got to watch it just for the production. So Ryan is our production director here at the church, which means all the technical side of, of producing an experience, whether it's through video or audio, um, lighting, all those things. He oversees that, that whole piece of what we do here. And so the, the one thing I want to just talk about is anybody that's watching the Olympics, which so many of us are, is when you watch the Olympics, there's kind of something happening that it's, it's done so well. And it's a commentary on production 
that you don't know it's happening because it's being done so well. Mm -hmm. But like I was watching last week, the cross country men's cross country skiing. And you know, it's like, there's like a loop. The loop takes like, like, I don't know, maybe two minutes or four minutes to go around and they do multiple different things. And of course it's cross country. So there's a little bit of downhill, but it's a lot of climbing. It's a lot of like, you know, using your, your poles to push yourself along and, and racing. And I counted on that one event, there were like at least 10 camera shots. Wow. And there was a, a like a train track camera along the, the final kind of going across the, like the, on the, what do they call that? Uh, coming around the final bend, the final sure. turn, there's a train track. So you think about, okay, I haven't looked into this, whatever, Google it. How many events are there at, at the Olympics? How many? I mean, there's got to be, you know, 50 or I don't know. There's got to sure, be so yeah. many. But even if you look at one of the downhill, like the slalom or the giant slalom or whatever, the super G or whatever they are, I counted one time on on one of those downhills, 13 camera shots. So for one event, there's 10 cameras Every single camera shot is in focus. It looks like the same color as the one you just saw. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't look like you switched cameras at all. It it ties together perfectly so that you basically are watching a very natural progression of the race. Like this yeah. I mean, when you start to think about what they do just from a production perspective with cameras. Oh yeah, it's crazy. it is mind-numbing. Yeah, because we the the reason why I'm I care about this more is because we do a, a production here at the church just to make sure we have like video in the room and we have a you know a live stream. Right. We have four cameras, and the challenge to just get them to look the same way from a color grading perspective mm-hmm. alone is unbelievable. I cannot imagine. Like the other day, I was watching the bobsled. They've got like seven cameras just for the bobsled. And then there's on the final run where they're coming across the finish line, there's a camera that's like over top of the actual like tunnel and it shows them coming in through and it's sitting on something. It's like, so it's not even the same size of a camera. Yeah. So the lenses, the, the amount of cameras, the amount of camera operators, the amount of adjustments that have to be made to make sure it all looks the same, the production, the execution, like there's someone turning the camera. So there's people involved uh, it just it is actually mind blowing, and then the the crazy part is the the Super Bowl was this weekend, and NBC, who has the Olympics, had the Super Bowl. Yeah. So Mike Tirico, two days before, he's in Beijing. He takes the red eye. He shows up. He's in front of SoFi Stadium doing the Olympics, and of course, how many cameras are there? Now that's more of a normal thing. They have cameras and the whole thing sure. set up for 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 whatever the 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 stadium there. But isn't that crazy? It's it's. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it, it's not something you think about, is it? You'll go watch that and look at it a different way, won't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like and when, every every camera that's there has its own set of variables. Yes. And every time you add one, you add that set of variables. Yes. And a, a whole different myriad of issues can occur. And then there's somebody. That's the thing is when you know a little bit about production, you know, like, this is wild. So, yeah. you're, you're, look, you're talking about lenses. You're talking about focus. You're talking about color grading. You're talking about... Uh, the equipment to zoom in, to zoom out. You're talking about tripods, which we have tripods. I mean, I, I don't even want to say how much a tripod for like a pretty nice camera. Yeah. There's 
you could you can spend a hundred thousand dollars on a tripod easily easily so they probably yeah. have you know the best tripods now there's Absolutely. if there's 13 cameras every lens every shot every camera is color graded every person that's sitting there has a tripod all the little stuff that's going on the cables are executed they're connected to something that goes into somewhere inside there there's someone that's sitting pressing buttons and switching it there's also somebody that is producing all the graphics yeah how often do you watch we were talking about figure skating. You watch figure skating. And what they have with figure skating is they have the top score plus the person that is figure skating. And as they're going through their, their routine, they are showing points possible for the triple axle or the sow yeah. cow or whatever's possible. They're showing what's possible. And in real time, they're showing how well they did against the standard of what's possible for that axle. So there's somebody that is judging it. That judge is putting in that amount of that score. That score is going into some system that's putting it on that screen, and it's it's flawless. That's just yeah. for figure skating. Which and and think about this too. <laughs> that alone so, is an institution. Like who's doing yeah, that? But for all of those, all of those cameras, all of those positions, all of those people, those are all people that have to have an alarm set to wake up at a specific exactly. time. Get a car to get there in a yes. place that's already busy. Like all those variables, the fact that they can all work together is crazy. It's like, you know, it's like if Ralph or Susan, if she had a bad day, yeah. you can't have a bad day. No. Or they have to have backups yeah, for bad days. You can't miss the bus that takes you to. You the, can't miss the yeah. bus. You gotta. You can't miss yeah. your coffee. You gotta be there because this thing is happening. Yeah. Because that has nothing to do with the logistics and the operation of putting on the Olympics. Right. That's just it's recording it thing. to make a TV product. Yeah. Which probably, <laughs> when you show up, you don't even know. You walk by the camera and you're like, "Oh, they're there." They're, I mean, the, the idea is that you don't know they're there. Right. And when you're watching it on the TV, we are so spoiled. Oh yeah. Think about that, man. It's, it's actually like when you start to look at it, just even the, the scores, someone is typing that in, the system, the fidelity of the connections, the Wi-Fi. In, in, in the Super Bowl uh, and on, in a lot of these, these Olympic events, there's a dude with a, with a wireless camera that's mm -hmm. walking down and talking to people and getting interviews after they come down the mountain or you know on, this, on the, on the, on the uh, field after they interview. Wireless. Yeah. A wireless, high-definition, in-real-time camera that also, when you switched from the one that's mounted in the side of the stadium, it looks exactly the same. Now, they do have the one, the 8K one, that makes it look like you're looking at a video game yeah, yeah. that they show in the, in, in the end of the football like after a touchdown. I actually read about that. That's like the least expensive camera they have. Of course. It's like, it's like child's play because it's like this kind of very niche, like it makes it look like a video game right. or whatever. Anyway, I, so I love the Olympics. You don't even, that's, and here's the, okay, and then I'll be done. So the production is mesmerizing. If you sure. just watch it because of the production, you will actually be blown away. If you know anything about production, you will, you will absolutely be blown away. And you know a lot about production because you've toured and yeah. you've been in this world for a long time. So you know. So. Yeah, I'm amazed that anything ever works. That anything ever well, works. There's too many variables. Yeah, because there's a hundred. That one yeah. part doesn't work, and in this day and age, you can't. There's parts that they can't make anyway. So yeah. it's craziness. Well, the thing about the Olympics that's the best is you're watching the best athletes in the world do things that most people don't do. Normal people don't do. Right. They spent their entire life building up to that one moment, and they're also they're also creating in 
in with the production tools, they're creating a story. Oh yeah. They're telling the stories of the athletes. Yeah. And every single time they tell a story of an athlete, you cry. I mean, like yeah. I They've got footage of them working out when they were them five working years out. Old so then and, there's that yeah. part. Yeah. And it, and it's it basically lasts for two weeks. <clears throat> yeah, it's crazy. It's nonstop. And there's four channels. And it's all Olympic. I mean, listen. Yeah, there's a marathon of production happening. A marathon. I mean, of, yeah. and so you know, I don't know what's next. I know we're going to be in in the states in the like, whenever soon. Somewhere sure. is next. I can't remember where it is. I think it's like, I don't know where the next one is. I'm not even going to go. I don't care. But you know, they're working on it right now. Oh yeah. I mean, I, anyway. I, so I've always said like, there's no way unless something crazy happens, like Amazon. If Amazon bought NBC, yeah then it, it would change and the production wouldn't be NBC, but it would basically be the same infrastructure. There's absolutely right. no way that there's another company, Fox, CBS, maybe, I don't know. You'd have to pull all your resources to pull yeah. together and do the Olympics because how did NBC pull off the Olympics plus the Super Bowl at the same time? Not to mention, we haven't even talked about like COVID restrictions. Yeah, in restrictions. Oh. Getting on planes. Dude, I mean, testing. anyway, so that, that I'm sure that there's uh, lots of stuff that I don't know about that I'm touching on with that, but I just, I'm absolutely blown away yeah. by that. So with that, uh, I'm going to go into a segment where I talk uh, about the stuff I didn't talk about as it's related to my message this weekend. This weekend, I did a message on forgiveness. So this is footnotes. The soothing, calming piano run that makes me think about deep academic ideas that just made it to the bottom of the page and I never talked about. So with uh, with footnotes, uh, one of the things that you'll find with communication and that I find, and Chris, you can speak to this, is, and I actually learned this, um, psychology teaches that in order for you to actually learn, you have to talk. You talk to learn. Talking helps you learn. So writing or talking is kind of like, it helps you think. Yeah. You know, so thinking happens when you talk. You, a lot of people don't talk much because they like to think it all and figure it all out first, and then they say it. That's not normal. Most people have to talk about stuff in order to figure out what they think yeah, or that's mean. that's me, external processing. External yeah. processing. So, like, you have to crystallize to verbalize, or it, it, crystallization comes through verbalization. So yeah. a lot of times you'll, you'll, uh, you, you, in order to figure out what you're going to say, you have to say it a bunch of times. And then after you've said it a bunch more times, it becomes more clear. And with, with, with topics that I get into, one of the things with, with this message I did this weekend, if you didn't, if you didn't hear it, I did a message on forgiveness um, about uh, penalty declined. I kind of used a Super Bowl analogy. How, how could you ever like decline a penalty? Because it, it, you know, why would you not take that advantage? But the reality is, is that with football, you didn't, you, you know, you decline a penalty and it's better for you. And the same thing is true for forgiveness, that it's actually better for you to forgive somebody. We think that like, you know, we're helping ourselves out by locking that person up and saying, I'll never forgive you. I'll never reintegrate my life with you. You know, you're dead to me or whatever, but actually what that is, is a sign of bitterness in your heart and you're kind of locked up. Mm -hmm by the lack of forgiveness because it's not the nature and state of the way you can carry on and live a healthy life. So it, it, you know, it's shackles for you. You think you're putting them in shackles. I'm not going to forget you. You're banned. You're banned to that part of the world, whatever. But really, it's for you. So I talked about that. Um, I talked about how when Jesus uh, talks about forgiveness in, in Matthew, there's a passage where they Peter asks Jesus, how many times should we forgive somebody? Seven times. He asks him if that's enough, and Jesus says, not seven times, 77 times, and that's a reference to a, uh, an Old Testament character named Lamech who was um, 
betrayed. And because he was betrayed, he returned um, evil to his betrayers 77 times. And it's a commentary. So Jesus is hinting at that when he says not 777. And so every Jewish person would go, oh, 77, that's Lamech. And Lamech represents human the human heart when we don't have God's kind of provision or when we're in sin and, and, and death. So the heart can get so bad that the intention, his intention wasn't to, to return evil 77 times. That's the result of what happens when your heart is that dark. And so Jesus is saying like, my, my hope for you is that your heart is the opposite of Lamech's. So that when he intended to not forgive and to cause evil 70 times, you would actually crave to, to be forgiving. And it's a crazy thing to think about wanting to forgive somebody. Like that means that you're kind of saying, I'm opening myself up. Yeah. I'm opening myself up. <clears throat> Any thoughts? Did you, did you hear this message? Yeah, I did. What, what, what are your thoughts on forgiveness? I mean, like, well, you mentioned the 77 times. Mm -hmm. It was almost like, it's almost like Jesus is saying, this is just the way I, the way I understood it was that you continue to forgive. Yeah. Because a lot of times you say forgive and forget, but yeah. most people are like, I'll never forget that. Right. It hurt me or whatever. Right. But like continuing to take on the spirit of forgiving someone. Yeah. You know, past the point of you being able to keep track of it. Yes. That you continue to forgive. It's just like your disposition. Yeah. That, no, kind of, that stuck with me. That's the idea of forgiveness is that in a way you're understanding. And I think that Jesus and, and the, the scriptures really get to the, to the idea that even with the law, basically after all the law comes in, it doesn't do what it's capable of doing. It tells people to circumcise themselves because the law says, and, and basically God says at the end of Exodus, your hearts are going to need to be circumcised. Like, I know it's a weird reference, but you're yeah. going to need something to happen different for you on the inside, which only he could do. Right. And so we need God to do something. So that's what I kind of got to the messages is compare your heart to God's heart and pray that God closes the disparity between your heart and God's heart. That's where forgiveness. So it's not just something that you do in the moment. It's something that you cultivate daily through prayer. And that's why the Lord's prayer says, you know, uh, forgive our debtors as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. Like the, in the Lord's prayer, it's like God teaches to pray. Yeah. And he's like, every single day you need to be preparing for forgiveness. Right. Your heart needs to be in the state, the condition, the receptacle. It has to be ready. It's like, I'm ready, which is just a weird thing. But basically what I, what I kind of want to get into is, is how that is, is a different way of living life altogether. And what Jesus is getting at in the Sermon on the Mount, where he tells people how to pray, and then after he gives the prayer, the only thing of the whole um, Lord's prayer that he talks about more and adds, if you will, more commentary, more insight in Matthew chapter six, the only thing is forgiveness. Mm. It's the only thing he talks more about. And basically he says the same thing that he says at the end, I think it's in Matthew 18, when he says, if you don't forgive, then your father in heaven won't forgive you. So at the end of Matthew six, he basically says, uh, you need to pray for forgiveness. And he's like, this is the way this is supposed to be. And if you don't forgive, my father in heaven won't forgive you. And a lot of people are like, wait a minute, doesn't God like forgive? How could God never forgive? And, and this is where I didn't get to kind of get into this because it's kind of a whole other thing. But the idea of forgiveness that Jesus is getting at with the, with the Sermon on the Mount is that, um, is that he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of the world, totally different. And so 
the way that he like drops that 30,000 foot idea right into our laps is he's like the kingdom of God. Here's how you pray. If you're in the kingdom of God, you ask to forgive as you've been forgiven. So in one way, he says the kingdom of God is a kingdom of forgivers. That's what my kingdom is. I'm a forgiver. I am on a mission to forgive all of you. So you could never say, it's like, Chris, are you part of the kingdom of God? And you're like, dude, I'm part of the kingdom of God. And then you're like, oh, but I won't forgive. He's like, no, no, no. Those two are the same thing. Yeah. You cannot be part of the kingdom of God and then not manifest it literally the, the way that I did say that it's like, you say you're a fan of something, but you won't wear that Jersey. You say, you know, you say you like like some drink, but you don't drink it. That's like ridiculous. So, one of the things that I think is really important is to understand that when, when Jesus is talking about forgiveness, he is saying to the people that are like, I want in the kingdom that forgiveness is mandatory. So a lot of times, like when we hear about forgiveness, we're like, you know, it needs to be a hard thing. It needs to be real. It needs to be all this. Well, God is dealing with us on like a bigger scale. He's like, okay, there's a different way. There's a different life. There's a different kingdom. And one of the hallmarks arguably maybe the hallmark is it's a kingdom of forgiveness and grace and love. And, and it's a kingdom of replenishing and redeeming and putting people back into their space spun out of the grace that I give them, which, which you can't have grace without forgiveness. Right. And you can't have forgiveness without grace. So he's saying like, this is the hallmark of my kingdom. So if you say you're in, you have to forgive people. And Jesus is so brilliant that he's like, this is the thing you're in. Are you in? Okay. Then you have to forgive. And uh, one of the things I love N.T. Wright says about forgiveness is when the disciples ask Jesus how to pray, Jesus doesn't, you know, doesn't take us followers and say and tell them to sit down and divide into focus groups and to deal with, to go inward into their hearts when they ask about how to pray. He says, this is how you pray. So just do this and this will deal with your heart. This is how you deal with your heart. He doesn't say sit down and just think about your heart and ask God to change your heart. He says, pray these prayers because these prayers will change your heart. This is the, this is the pathway. So don't sit around and just go like, oh, I got to figure out how to forgive. I got to figure out how to forgive. I got to figure out how to forgive. He says, pray that God will teach you how to forgive. Pray that God will give you a new heart and give you a heart of forgiveness. Um, And so what Jesus is getting at with the Sermon on the Mount, he's going, this is the kingdom. Do you want to be a part of it? If you want to be a part of it, then you have to forgive. And here's this analogy. This is a great analogy. So the part where it says, if you don't forgive, my father won't forgive you. It's kind of like, wait a minute. I thought forgiveness is like a thing that like I got to work on over time. Well, what if I kind of mess it up? Jesus isn't saying there's like a sliding scale of forgiveness. And then there's a certain amount that where you stop forgiving. He is saying that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of forgiveness. So to be a part of it, you need to be a part of it. And he's saying that the gateway, and this is the analogy, think of forgiveness like a gateway. Your heart is a gateway. Forgiveness is like a gate into some territory. The, the gateway leads to receiving forgiveness. If you open up the gateway, then you can receive forgiveness. The same gateway is the same way that forgiveness leaves and is offered Mm. to others. So you don't, if you're a kingdom person, you've opened up the gateway to forgiveness and you receive it. That means that you, you, the, the, the door is open. You have to be able to give it. You don't get to go, okay, I open up the gateway to receive forgiveness 
and then I close it when I'm supposed to give. No, 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 no. If it's open to receive kingdom people, it's open to give. So that's the idea. And I love that idea of saying like, I'm, I'm part of the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means that I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a person of forgiveness. Yeah. You're a forgiver. I'm a forgiver. That's like what I do. And also it's not just, um, it's not just that the, the, the mandatory part about the cyclical nature of the heart is like, you have to forgive because you're in my kingdom. And the truth is, is psychologically, and we know this emotionally, that if you do things like that, eventually your heart will follow suit. Yeah. So he's praying. He's saying, pray that your heart changes, but don't wait for your heart to change to forgive people. Because if you're in the kingdom, that's what you have to do. And eventually your heart will follow suit because I'm working on you. But trust me, open the gate. You cannot be the kind of person, just like the, I talked about in Matthew 18, the master who forgives his, his uh, you know, servant, and then the servant doesn't go forgive his servant. And he's like, wait a minute, like I opened the door. I'm a forgiver, and I forgave you. If you're part of my thing, you have to do it the same way. Yeah. You don't get to like open up the thing. So basically then the, the idea is where it gets really kind of like almost it, it's chilling is to think, well, if, if, if I don't give forgiveness to people, did I ever really receive the forgiveness right. in the first place? Yeah. Like, have I, have I been integrated into this kingdom? Because to, to be integrated into the kingdom, to experience the freedom, to experience forgiveness, if you really do, you will become a forgiver. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to. I mean, I don't know. That's my, like... Those are my, that's my takeaway is like, it takes two, it takes two people. You have to work through it, all that stuff. But man, oh man, there's something that's really brilliant about the idea that if you are a receiver, you have to be a giver of forgiveness mm -hmm. and that you're just part of the kingdom of God. That's what we do. Yeah. Have you ever had a, uh, like a story where you, you got worked through and you had to forgive? Oh yeah. Are you kidding me? I mean, what, what, I'm what's, a, do you have anyone, being. anyone that you want to share? Um, I mean, I dated a girl for a long time yeah, that that's yeah, you know, that broke up with me and like ended up marrying one of my friends. Wow. I mean, just a weird situation. It took me a long time to get through that, but I I also realized um <clears throat> I I couldn't have a relationship with someone else until I forgave her. Wow, right? I mean, how could I continue holding on to something? It would almost mean that like you're bringing that bitterness yeah, into another relationship. Yeah, bringing that bitterness into something else. And like, mm. um, if I want this re this new relationship to be successful, how can that be successful when I've shown a, you know, I've I've got a track record of of holding a grudge. Yeah, that doesn't work. Right. So one of the other th one of the other thoughts I had yeah. in, in my footnotes for forgiveness is that a lot of times um, forgiveness it does take time. And it can take like a year or two and you might have some kind of breakdown in a relationship where you're, you're not going to be around them anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, a breakup is kind of typical. It's like you yeah. break up with somebody, you don't, you're not around them anymore. Right. Well, even though you're not around them, you still hurt. And yeah. so forgiveness is really, it can become just a matter of the heart. Think about that. Like yeah. forgiving somebody and in full integration back into your life that's a daily thing that that needs to be dealt with at a heart level as well. But that, that brings the challenges of like actually treating somebody as if what they did didn't happen. That's the way Jesus is. Jesus doesn't just act like it didn't happen. He like lavishes continual love upon us. Right. So if we're around somebody 
that's really, really hard to constantly forgive if your heart's not in it. But let's say you're not around somebody. One of the things that I, I just didn't get to is this idea that if you pray the prayer every day, forgive me, you'll find, and people find this, you're, you're bitter, you can't forgive, but you pray for that person. Yeah. So again, the Christian life is like a commitment to a different way. So I'm, I'm praying for them. I'm mad at them. I don't even see them. And you might find that after you pray for someone or you, and you pray the Lord's prayer or a combination of the two that you see them in a year and you actually feel different about them. Right. You forgive them well, because you've done it, all this work. Isn't it C.S. Lewis that has the quote that I don't pray because it changes God. I pray because it changes, it changes me. me. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I pray because it changes me. And what specifically do I pray? I ask God to forgive me. I'm reminded that the gate was open to receive. So yeah. help me. I don't want to be the guy that closes the gate on when it's time to give. That's not the kingdom. Anyway, I mean, forgiveness is a great topic. I mean, we could uh, talk about all kinds of difficult situations that we've all been in. And uh, anyway, go check out that message and uh, maybe this will add to it. So with that, we're going to uh, move into the main section of uh, the podcast uh, today with The Aficionado and Chris Solly. This is The Aficionado. Oh, yeah. So he's already here. And um, today in the aficionado, we're going to round out. Like I said, uh, we're in a season of learning. So we've been talking about worship and what worship is and learning about worship. Chris Sully is here. He is one of our worship leaders at the church. And uh, Chris, you have a, a very really interesting story background of kind of how you got to the place where you're worshiping, uh, leading worship here. Um, you, you have experience on the road, um, with lots of different musical things. Uh, and then, well, I think one of the things that's really interesting, which I want you to get into as you just tell a little bit, brief history of your, your story and how you ended up here, but specifically you ended up here, uh, singing, mm -hmm. which I don't think you were doing before. No, huh? It's like a new thing. It's relatively new, yeah. So, so, uh, yeah. If you go to church here, you know Chris Sully is like one of our lead. He, he plays the drums and all that stuff too. But like, he's like probably one of the best voices that we have here. And I, you, you, like, when did you start singing? I mean, I've always you always sang. I've always been a singer, but I, you know, drumming was my first love. Yeah, and uh, you know, I've learned enough guitar. When I was in middle school, I tried to learn enough guitar to sing to girls. So was, okay. you know, sing to girls. Okay. So like that was like singing was always kind of a part of it. It okay. was ubiquitous with. But did you ever? Musician. Did you ever lead worship like sing in front of people? I, I actually did. So the church that I grew up in in Texas. Okay. Um, it kind of morphed into a thing where we just didn't have anybody when I was in high school and the high schoolers needed some kind okay. of worship leader to lead music on a Wednesday night church service kind yep. of thing for high schoolers. I kind of just picked that up. I okay. mean, it was four chords, right? Yeah, I wasn't yeah. doing much. Else four chords in a cloud of dust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, that's basically where I kind of started singing. I was always like doing backup vocals and stuff as I was playing drums. Okay. That was always part of what I did. But okay. um, yeah, but singing became more of, more of like one of the things I did when I was in high school. Yeah. Okay. So back us up, give us like the brief history, the Wikipedia top two paragraphs of Chris Sully. Yeah. So born and raised in Texas, um, I got started in music when I was in, uh, like late elementary school and 
at the same time, I was into like skating and other thing that other things that kids are into. But I realized I loved playing drums so much. If I break an arm or a leg, I can't play drums. And yeah. that was enough for me to be like, that's my focus. And so I did that. I was in band and um, involved in church. So I've actually, I kind of calculated the other day, uh, 25 years I've been playing music. Wow. Okay. And wow. so, and since like, that's since weird because that you're started, only 23. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I'll be 37 this year. Okay. So, but yeah, I started playing drums in church when we didn't have drums at church. Like yeah. it was piano and organ, Southern Baptist church. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, the first night I played was, a, was a Sunday night. It wouldn't even let me play. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Morning. You can't do it on right. Sunday morning. Notes in the offering plate saying, lose the drums. I mean the whole thing. Right. <laughs> really? I, I mean, I didn't know that then my dad kind of protected true. me from oh it, my gosh. he knew about it. You had he the was notes. a deacon there and he like was involved in what was going on. And so he kind of knew, but now, I mean, fast forward years later, yeah. that church has a full orchestra every mm-hmm. Sunday morning. It's a whole thing. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got started doing that and then got hooked up with a guy, um, named Dan, um, who I had seen when I was like at VBS at another church mm-hmm. when I was little and his son played drums with him. Well, his son is now the lead guitarist for Chris Tomlin. Mm. And so I traveled with Dan when I started, when I was in high school, um, I started traveling with Dan. So every Chris summer. Tomlin for anyone that's listening, doesn't know one of the most famous Christian artist, yeah, worship leaders, maybe the prolific, most, yeah. your grace is enough, all that yeah. stuff. You would recognize more songs than you would think. Yeah, you were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Dan, Dan did the like summer, every summer he did church camps from as far, as far out as Colorado to Florida, we would travel all summer long and do church camps. Mm -hmm. So I did that all through high school and, and most of college and, and did that kind of stuff. And, um, I met a girl doing that, um, from Ohio. Yeah. From Ohio in Missouri. Mm -hmm. And we kind of started a relationship long distance. And then that's what brought you here. That's what brought me here. And so, um, we dated two years before I moved here and then I moved here to like finish school. I'm using air quotes here, finish school, which I did. You did? Um, yeah, I did finish school. Well, then why'd you use air quotes? Cause that's not why you came. Well, here. yeah, that's not where yeah. it wasn't the reason at the time. Right. Gotcha. Um, and so, yeah, I did finish school. I went to Capitol thinking, Oh, it's a music school, but I didn't do any music there. Okay. I, my bachelor's degree is in business. So, okay. um, but I went and did that, and I, when I moved here, I thought, I'm giving up music because I don't know anybody here. But I was hmm. working at Guitar Center, and okay. so I was like kind of getting involved. So I met people there and met through people through the girl I was dating at the time okay. that played music and formed a band. Um, probably never heard of them before. Okay. The band's 21 Pilots. Yeah, never heard of them. Never heard of them. But yeah, we, I, I started that with Tyler then, mm-hmm. and... Did, when did you, where did you meet Tyler? I met him through, I mean, he went to school with my ex-girlfriend. And okay. So she kind of knew, I mean, she knew I was a musician. I was in bands, other bands besides doing the stuff, uh, traveling. I was in other bands as well. Yeah. And so she knew that I was into that. And she said, you should meet this guy. Like I've heard him sing a couple of times. He seems pretty good. And so I kind of hit him up out of nowhere. I was like, so hey, she, man. she knew him from, from Ohio state or something? No, from high school. Okay. She knew okay. him from high school. And so she had heard him sing his stuff. And when, so when he was in college, she was starting college. I had kind of hit him up and said, Hey, you should, I know you don't know me very well. We've met a couple of times, but you know, I play music and I'm a drummer and I've got kind of a little recording studio set up so we should hang out and play some music. Yeah. And so that's kind of how that all started. Oh, that's cool. Um, I think in all these years, I never heard that story. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's how it started. Um, and we ended up deciding, all right, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. So we got a house together and, uh, with some other guys and pushed to record music and release mm-hmm. it. And, 
um, yeah, that's how that's how it started. So yeah. I did 21 Pilots for two years. And then that was kind of the way the timing worked out. Student loans started coming due. We weren't really making money yet. Yeah. We were we were playing a lot of stuff out and traveling as much as we could, but there wasn't a lot of revenue to be made yeah. from that. Yeah. And so I needed to get a full-time job. Yeah. That's where it really landed. Yeah. Um, and I and we were about to release that second album, the regional at best album that yeah. doesn't really exist anymore. Um, and I, Tyler had been coming to church at 514 mm-hmm. at the time. And so he kind of knew Josh through that. And the fact yeah. that I met Josh when I worked at Guitar Center. We yeah. both worked at the same I time. I do remember that story. You yeah. met him at, at playing drums yeah. at Guitar Center. Yep. Yeah. So I kind of knew Josh from that. And I knew that, I knew Josh well enough. Like I had seen him out different places or whatever. And he would come to 21 Pilot shows too. So like we knew each other well. And he and, um, he and Tyler were, knew each other from being involved in music at, at 514. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew that Josh was about to get ready to move to Nashville to try and figure out what to do career-wise with music. And, and so I, was, I told Tyler, I said, man, maybe it's my time to step down. And, hmm. you know, maybe we should ask Josh if he wants to be the drummer. Yeah. Because, you know, he's going to leave. Maybe this sure. keeps him here. And uh, so that's what we did. Yeah. Um, I, was kind of in a, I was kind of in a pinch of like, I if I don't get a full-time job and start paying on my student loans, it's like kind of telling my parents, like, cause they co-signed on all this stuff. Yeah. 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 It's like, Hey, you guys deal with this. I'm right. going to go off and run off and play music right. with my friends. Yeah. seems irresponsible, especially at the time. Like we had turned down a record deal at the yeah. time because traditionally you're told as a musician, don't ever take the first deal. Yeah. And thank goodness we didn't. Sure. But we had turned down a deal and we knew that things were progressing in the right direction, but could never know that you're going to make it. Yeah, right. Know? Oh, of course not. That it would ever be like a real career. And I I knew too from, I, I've tried to put people wiser than myself in my life. And um, when one of those guys um, had told me, he said, you know, I've seen guys throw away their, um, their livelihoods and their wives and families and stuff just to pursue a career yeah, in music. And around. I was like, you know what? That's not me. I'm yeah. not that guy. Yeah, you're not that guy. And, you know, you, you set up things for yourself when you're like 15 or 16, you're young, you're immature, you don't know anything yeah. about the world yet. Right. You think you do. Right. And you think like, yeah, I want to be a touring musician yeah. or a studio drummer or a whatever. Right. And that all sounds really you cool. You don't know what that means. And then when you find out what that really means, like, dude, I can tell you now, I have zero interest right. in traveling in, for a living. Right. Not interested in it. Right. And so, um, yeah, I, mean, it's I, like a grind. To be, I like to be at home and see my wife and my kids every yeah. night. Hey, I, I remember seeing you, I saw 21 pilot shows. It was you and, and, Tyler and Nick, right? Yeah, the bass, bass player. player. I mean, I remember going to shows where there was uh, me and my brother Ben were the only people there. Oh yeah, and then it was we all crazy went to dogs after probably. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it was. Yeah, and then you see, then you'd see stuff at the Newport and all that stuff, and and I remember all those days. They were that was fun. Yeah. So talk about real quick, um, just uh, you know, so you got married, you. So you yeah, broke up with that girl. Yeah, that that relationship ended, and I had been going to church with her and her family. And Tyler was like, "You should definitely try to get involved." It it was New Albany Church. Yeah, time. right. And so I said, "All right, cool." So I literally started coming around. I got to know Travis a little bit, yep. and I started coming around. He was and the just, worship pastor here. Yep, the worship pastor here at the time. So I started coming around, and honestly, just sticking around after services, wrapping cables, and helping pack up, and like, yeah, you know, until Travis finally was like, "Don't you play drums?" Like. Do you want to play drums? Right. And I was like, well, yeah, I'd love to play drums. Yeah. And so that kind of started on that road. And and then after doing that for a while, there was an opportunity 
kind of at the time it was different than what Ryan does now, but it, but very similar position yeah. Yeah. of, Hey, we need someone to kind of run production. Yeah. So, um, so you guys hired me to do that. And I did that for two years. And yeah. in that time I met my wife. That's right. Krista, okay. Um, who was, you know, Ryan's very, sister, Ryan's sister, very involved at the time, you know, how Travis was, um, and people who remember who are around and remember him. I, he was like, why aren't you dating anybody? Like what's going on there? You, you need to get married. And I don't know what it is about married people pushing marriage, Yeah, but I'm, I mean, I'm the same way now. Um, but he was like, just you, there's tons of single girls here. Just tell me which one. Tell me you, which one. Yeah, and I'll pick her tell out. Tell me which one. And I'll, and I, I pointed out Krista that's and he funny. goes, oh, well she's got a boyfriend and that's Ryan's sister. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, well then never mind. I'm uh-huh. not going to play your game anymore. And so, but I was, I was interested and yeah. I, I tried to talk to her and whatever. And no, that's a funny story. You got to yeah. tell that story. She was not interested. Not interested, right? <laughs> she was not interested. And, uh, I was intimidated, so I didn't really act like myself. So for about a year, I was like trying to ask her out to do yep. stuff and she would go, but she, she made it very clear. She was not interested. Yeah. And finally I, I had invited her to a wedding and there, this was interesting. So you, you had done a sermon. I lost my ears there, but All right. um, you had done a sermon about, uh, about prayer and, okay. and you said, pray for something for two weeks, hmm. like spend two weeks praying about something. And it was at that time where like I had been trying to date this girl and she just wasn't interested, but I couldn't get her out of my head. So I, I prayed about it for two weeks. I was like, God, give me some clarity. Give me some wisdom about, you know, how to maybe move on from this and just like hmm. maybe put somebody else in my life that, you know, yeah, I can move on and, yeah. and whatever. Or if she's supposed to be in my life, make that clear. And at the end of that two weeks, it seemed pretty clear, like, all right, she's supposed to be in your life somehow. Maybe it's just a friend and that's hmm. okay. And so, um, and maybe from that comes the person you're supposed to marry or whatever, or yeah. her friend or whatever. And so I prayed about that. I asked her to go to a wedding and she said, well, let me think about it. So I was going to take her to a wedding as a date. And then when she finally said, yes, yeah, she's like, okay, I'll go, but I just want to make sure this is just as friends. And so I was finally like, all right, now I'm definitely done. Cause I just feel offended. Uh. <laughs> and so I went to a wedding and, um, we actually double dated with, with her brother and uh, the girl he was dating at the time. And so we go to this wedding and I was just like, in my mind, I'm done. Like, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry about this anymore. Yeah, you, you, you were thinking she's not interested. So, yeah. so there's nothing whatever. here. Yeah. Okay. And so I was ready to move on from it. And I guess that allowed me to just be myself. And, and look uh, at that. And like a, the next week, she's like, I, I like self. I kind of want to hang you out yourself. with you more. Yeah. And so <laughs> from there, I mean, literally after that happened, it was like maybe a, a year and a half later we were married. So it didn't probably, once she kind of turned your way, did it take long for you to turn back? No, not at all. <laughs> you were telling like, yourself. Okay, this makes sense. You were yeah. telling yourself that it didn't <clears throat> exist, but you weren't yeah. there yet. But you yeah. were trying. Right. Because she yeah. asked you to to not yeah push it so you tried yeah and then she yeah so you know it's i i i don't know if it was a lesson in persistence yeah so much as it was just being patient patient yeah all of yeah. it so three boys later three boys later and a little a girl, girl on, on the way. way yeah wow all right so for the last 10 minutes here so now you're a worship leader does how did you end up singing here i mean so, I, yeah, I just don't yeah, know when i when i when i left here uh I, well when i left my job uh, as being on staff, I went and worked for a lumber company and, 
And I told I told Kevin and Ryan at the time, I said, I'm just going to take a break because I was still trying to play drums and music while I was doing the production stuff. But um, I mean, I was kind of needed there. So yeah. um, I said, I'm going to take a little break for a little bit. And then when I come, I, I said, I'm just going to take like a month to just like get this new job sorted out or whatever. And I said, but I, I want to be involved. I said, this is our church. We're we're plugged in here. We're committed. This is where our kids are going to grow up in church. We've, we've decided that. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I said, just get me plugged in however you can. I said, I'll run a camera. I don't care. I just want to be involved. And, um, Kevin had, I mean, probably heard me sing before, but I, he said, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to play drums? Do you want to sing? I was like, I'll, I'll do both. I don't care. And so I think one Sunday, yeah, we just let out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he was like, I think it went well, well let's yeah. keep doing this. That's and awesome. so, you know, years later, here we are. Yeah. So, okay. What have you learned? about worship. So I gave you some of these questions. Just just kind of dive in anywhere you want on on what worship is, what it means to you, how to lead a room. Yeah. Just just kind of share with us what what that is. Well, I I try to in my professional career, the the business I own and and what I do as a worship leader, I try to take on Chris a, owns a custom woodworking company. Yeah, Millwork Elm, and Elmwood Elmwood Custom Goods. Yep. And so I try to take on the uh, mentality of being a student. Always. I, I feel like I've, I've found it's better to always be a student of the craft, whether it's my woodworking stuff or, or leading people hmm. um, in worship. And so because of that, I'm, I don't, would never say I've got it all figured out. I'm, I'm just trying to continue to learn and get yeah. better. Um, and when it comes to the worship thing, I mean, my vision of what worship is or should be has changed a million times from the time that I started playing in that little Southern Baptist church yeah. that said worship center on the front, right. you know, like from, from then till now it's changed a lot. Hmm. Um, but I, I, it was, I used to just think worship was music, right? There's people singing music and, um, but now I have a better picture of that. And I think it switched for me. I did this really in-depth study on Abraham hmm. and I remember reading the passage where Abraham tells his servant or whatever that, um, my son and I are going to go up on the mountain and we will worship and return to you. Hmm. And I was like, they're not up there singing. Mm -hmm. Like he's just been asked yeah. to sacrifice but his there's kid, the word. but there's the word worship. Mm -hmm. And so I started to think about it and like through different, this is kind of like over time building yeah, right, yeah. what I believed worship to be. That was kind of what started that. It, well, it's not just singing. It's, it's about what you're giving your allegiance to your time to, your, your money to your, mm. um, your attention to, mm -hmm. and that's what you're worshiping. Mm -hmm. And so you've, you've said before in sermons, like different things are really good things, but they're bad gods, mm -hmm. but we tend to worship those things. Not that we like get down on our knees and say, Oh money, I'm mm -hmm. so thankful mm -hmm. for you. Like, but if, if our pursuits every day are about money, then we're worshiping you're it. Worshiping I mean, then, then that's yep. our God. Yep. And so <clears throat> for me, it's worship is, putting on a posture of being prepared to um, to be to be obedient and recognize that God is in charge mm -hmm. and you're willing to submit to that yeah and and forgive and mm -hmm. do all, all yeah. of the things that come along with it sure. right um, when Jesus talks about all the all the beatitudes like um, blessed are the peacemakers mm -hmm. blessed are the you know I always add one in there that's not in the Bible I'm Please, I won't yeah, make any comments oh, about it. This is, this is getting crazy. Blessed are the flexible, for they will not be bent out of shape. <laughs> nice, yes. But like, I, I think about all those characteristics of what it means to be a Christian and and how we should be and trying to be little Christ. Yeah. 
And I think that's what worship is, is choosing to act like little Christ and do the things that are going to make us more like Christ. That's good. Um, and so where that leads into like with music thing is, you know, for some people coming in the door is worship. Yeah. Just being here. Just being here. They, you they decided, yeah, they decided to be obedient which, to God. Which is a part of it. Yeah, it's a part of it. Yeah. For, and, but not, not everyone's at the same place in their walk. And, right. Um, and some people come in here and they need to lift their hands, not so other people can see them lift their hands, but they need to lift their hands because they are putting on that posture of, okay, Openness. God, I'm, I'm surrendering. Surrender. I'm open to what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And man, letting, so that's hard for a lot of people. It used to be hard for me. Yeah. Letting go of like how people might perceive me and truly focusing on God in that moment mm-hmm. and, and what he might have for you. That's, you know, it's a posture. Yeah. Um, so I, it's, it's, like I said, my definition of what worship is has morphed and changed over time as I've learned more about um, more about God. Mm-hmm. Um, but one, what is truly amazing to me is like through my life, looking back, we talk about hindsight being twenty twenty. Yep, we can see very clearly the way God worked and interwoven things, or has interwoven things in our life. And man, there's so much to. Worship me. I mean, just take the story of my wife, for example, yeah. like a whole year of like feeling like I need to be with this girl, but she doesn't want to be with me. Um, and so now we have our fourth kid on the way. Yeah. And, and you're and saying you look at that and you go, wow, like that's a lot to be thankful for. That's a lot to, that's a lot to be thankful for. for. That's a lot to praise him for. It's a lot that even though I was uncertain in the time, I can see how God worked all these things mm. together to yeah. provide for me yeah. in a way that I could have never yeah. imagined and better than I would have organized myself. Right. And part of that is, is you were actually trying to stay lockstep with God and he was guiding you. Right. Yeah. Pursuing things, listening to people who were more wise than myself, who have more life experience. The two week of prayer thing sticks, sticks with me. I mean, just to yeah. do that. To focus on something for, for two weeks yeah. mean that means that it's important to you. Right. And um, to take it before God. Yeah. 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 That's good. So when you're uh, leading a room, you know, like, how do you, you know, what are you doing? Like, what are you, how do you lead a room of people? Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't say I've got it all figured out, but what I know has, has been the, the best for me is, is being real and honest, kind of the same way I was with, with Krista yeah. is being myself and, and truly opening up about, um, about things like the way a song hits me and why, mm-hmm. um, I think it's, it's easy to get into those motions of we just, we sing these songs and they sound pretty and all that, but there's a lot of theology and really good stuff in the songs that we choose. I mean, yeah. we try not to choose songs here and I'm not the one that chooses the songs, but, um, but Kevin and Eddie and, and I know Carmen's involved in that. Mm-hmm. I know you're involved in that. Mm-hmm. And like the way we choose our songs is that we don't just sing songs that sound cool. Right. We sing songs that have biblical truth. In yeah. Them. And so I think my goal as, as a, as a worship leader is to, try to highlight that biblical truth in the song. Yeah. So it becomes more than just something you're singing, but you're thinking about those words, what, what, how they apply to your life Yeah. and, and allowing that to change you and allow mm-hmm. that to kind of open you up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, uh, so you play the drums and you sing and lead. What do you like to do more? Uh, I feel like drums is easier. <laughs> yeah. Is it why I, there's less pressure. Uh, I've done it long enough. It's kind of, um, Second nature. Yeah, it's kind of second nature. It comes a little easier to me. It's, it's, um, yeah. But, but I feel like there's a little more pressure on leading people and knowing the right things to say. And I don't always have to say something, but between a song or whatever. But, 
But um, that's kind of one of the things you're highlighting here is that you, the 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 little teaching moments. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what you like to do, and you've started to do that more. Yeah, I'm starting to do that more. It's something that I've kind of we we've set up goals for ourselves uh, as a team. We we meet and do. Um, some different things to really focus on our, on our team, our, like our actual uh, worship team. Mm -hmm. And one of the goals I had set for myself this year was to get more comfortable in those moments. Mm -hmm. And, and part of that is honestly, it's work that's off stage. It's, yeah, right. it's reading more yeah. and investing in time with God more so that I'm better prepared. I, Louis Giglio said something at a conference we were at one time. He said, you can't take someone somewhere you've never been. Never been. Yeah. And that, that has really stuck with me. Of mm -hmm. like, if I want to take people to the throne, yeah, I have to have been there. Yeah. I have to have prepared for that. I can't be thinking about the lyrics and wondering right. about where this transition is. And, and I do still get caught up in that stuff sometimes, but I, I think it's important. Like they had <laughs> passion You're going there. Yeah. Passion church. They, they talk about the things they do. Like they don't, they have to know those songs without a confidence monitor. Right. They, they have to know the lyrics themselves. And, so there's a lot of extra effort in in putting in that work ahead of time. Whereas, you know, in order to play a drum part right, that's easy for me. I can listen to it a few times and kind of go through it. And then by the time we rehearse it, I feel really solid on it and feel like I know where we're going musically. Yeah. Um, but it's something I'm, I can do that because I've done it for so long. I've worked yeah. hard at being proficient in that. And yeah. so now I'm trying to take on the challenge of becoming more proficient in and putting in that work that comes with being a worship leader, when you which put is a in different that work, type of you, work. You go to the throne room, you have moments of, of majesty and awe yeah, and that's happening in your life and that's happening daily. And then you walk in here and you know, someone's not close to that, but you, how do you get, how do you, how do you think if they come in, there's a part that they're already ready a little bit, but how do you get people to go from zero to a hundred? Well, it's tough. I mean, and, and what I do for a living, it's pretty easy to see if I've succeeded in what I set out to do. Yeah. My so, customer is either happy or they're not. Right. Yeah. They like it. And in here- They tell you. They pay I, for it. Yeah. I mean, people come up and will say like, man, we really loved that song. That really spoke to me. Things like that. Um, but I don't know what's happening in someone's not heart. Not all the time. Yeah. And so it's hard. It's I think as a worship leader, we have to remind ourselves that we may not always see the results- yeah. exactly the way we would want to. They might not be as real and tangible to us, but it uh, it doesn't mean that God's not working. That's true. I'll tell you, you know, uh, I hear all kinds of stuff from people. And one of the things I hear, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I hear it all the time. Like people will look right at me, like after I've done a message or whatever, and they'll be like, I, I just come for the music. <laughs> I'm no, like, never, never I'm like thank before. you. I'm glad. There, I'm, that's great. You know, like yeah. that's. A, but like, I think you need to know that. Like, there's a lot of people who, you know, the X factor for them is your leadership or how we lead people in worship because you're doing something to take them, you know, up the mountain. They're going yeah. up there to worship, and you're taking them. Well, it's you. it's interesting. I've I've played music and, and or, or play drums or sang in a lot of churches and a lot of different scenarios. And I, there are, it, what we do here to the, to the level that we try to execute it at. And I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking about what you talked about earlier, team, production, yeah. the team, the talent that we have here is not a common thing. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's, we've, we've really worked hard and, and um, it's a testament to 
where the priorities are for the church. Yeah. So they worked hard to make this an excellent experience. Yeah. And um, so we I talked I'm, a little bit I'm about that last a, week. Yeah, I'm excited to be. I mean, I love being a part of a team that cares about executing something well. And and I, I mean, isn't that like the Bible talks about doing everything as you're doing it yeah, for the Lord? the Lord? Like that's what we're that's what we're hoping right. to do. It's not about like oh, we're really good at music and we have really good singers or musicians, but yeah, we want people that are bringing their gifts as though they're bringing them directly to God because yeah. they really are. I mean, yeah. that's what this is. And and who knows what, you know, like I said, for some people, worship is just showing up because they're at a place where just being obedient to God and saying, all right, I'm going to go and, and see what this church is about, that that could be part of, of worship for someone. Like we, we have to take advantage of what, you know, when people actually show up, we have to take advantage of the fact that they're here. They're here yeah. And that what they what they hear while they're here is very important. Yeah. Well, Chris, you're one of the best we got. You're a great worship leader. You got a great family, wife, kids. Uh, you have a cool story. A 21 Pilot, um, original founding member, and you're using all this stuff to help lead the the church. I know a lot of people really appreciate you. So um, thanks, thanks for doing it. Thanks yeah. for everything you shared. And guys, so um, that is the rest of. Uh, of the worship conversation and we'll see you next week when we kick off uh, a four-part series on the rest about leadership love you guys